0: morning. My name is Sam McLaughlin and I'm the senior pastor here at Bell Mead and I just want to welcome you again and say if we haven't met you we would love the chance to get to know you and we'd love to say hello to our friends who are joining us online as well. You are a part of the church and you showed up today. Today we are starting a new sermon series for the month of May called God of the Movement. If you look at your uh, bulletin on the front page, you'll see our little image there. Also, maybe you've seen this on social media, and you'll see that a couple of letters are also bolded. So we're trying this play on words thing where we're not just talking about the God of the movement, but the God of the moment. And what we're trying to say in this series is that uh, we serve a God that's on the move, and that this God is always asking us to be on the move, to act to do, to make. We're also saying that uh, we have a God who speaks to us in the present moment. You know, sometimes as individuals, maybe sometimes even as the church, we can find ourselves getting stuck in the past or getting stuck in our routines. Uh, sometimes we find ourselves being fearful of the future. But what we're saying is, God speaks to us right here, right now, in this moment. And as individuals and as a church, we want to be attentive to what God is doing here and now. You know, as I thought about ways we can play with movement and moment, I thought about also movements that we have seen in our history. Uh, Maybe you could call them social movements, things that we believe God can get behind. And you know, I do feel like right now in our state, because of the events of March 27th, we're in the middle of a movement. We're in the middle of a moment. And I'm really proud to be a part of a church that has shown up to do that with each other. And I hope that we can believe that that's a movement and a moment that God gets behind, that is spirit-driven to create a safer place for our children. Today, as we talk about this story, it's, an, it's a reappearance, an appearance of Jesus in his resurrected form. And since Easter morning, we've been talking about these stories where Jesus appears in his resurrected form to his disciples. We started with looking in the book of John at Jesus coming to Mary at the tomb and whispering her name and sending her out to go and tell the disciples. The following week, we talked about Jesus appearing to those disciples who were huddled together behind doors and were afraid. And he came among them and he said, peace be with you. And he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. Last week, uh, Brian Sigmund was here in my absence and he talked about Jesus coming back for Thomas and this moment where Thomas got to see Jesus and believe since he was missing from that previous encounter. Today, we're sort of shifting gears to the book of Matthew. All of those stories were in the book of John. And so I wanna tell you what's happening before we get to our passage for today. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to the tomb. And at the tomb, there's this big earthquake and the stone is rolled away and this angel appears. It says it's in dazzling white. And the angel says to them, "Uh, Mary's, Jesus isn't here. And you don't have to be afraid, but what I want you to do is go to the brothers and tell them to meet me in Galilee. And so the Marys leave, and they go to find the disciples, and as they're on the road to go and tell them this message, Jesus appears to them, and it says that they worship Jesus and that they actually touch Jesus in the same ways that Thomas did, So the Marys deliver this message to the disciples. And here as our text begins, they are on that mountain. They are there to meet Jesus. And it says, when they see him, they worshiped him and they doubted. And Jesus said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey what I have commanded. And remember, I am with you always. As I've been listening for the Spirit through this passage, what, I always ask the same question, God, what would you have, what do you have to say to your church? And I heard God kind of focus me, focusing me on this word, authority. It's interesting because I feel like uh, Jesus' claimed authority in his life is part of what got him in trouble, right? Like people didn't believe he had the authority to do what he was doing, that he was the son of God. And in this moment, I think Jesus is sort of reestablishing that he does have this authority, not just because of his resurrection, but because of his life and his ministry and all that he taught us. And what I hear in this moment in saying to them, therefore go, is he's sharing this authority. He's transferring this power. He's saying, look, in my absence, it is your turn to carry on the mission. And you know, we have said this about every resurrection experience that we've looked at. It wasn't just about encountering Jesus and having this blessed assurance that he was alive. Every single time he says to the disciples, now you go, now you go and be sent out. Now you go and make disciples. It's so important that as Jesus followers, we understand this. It's sort of as if if we had like a 26-mile marathon. Is that how long they are? 26-mile <laughs> marathon, and we only focused on getting through one mile, right? If we only focus on the personal encounters that we have with Jesus, we miss this calling that we have as disciples, being a Christian and being a disciple is not really just about coming to worship on Sunday morning. It's about everything that we do. It's about leaving this place with the authority and the power to do the things that Jesus taught us to do. Now, Jesus was really good at sharing his authority and his power with his disciples, even in his life and ministry. In Luke chapter 10, we're told that he sends the disciples out two by two with his authority to heal in the same ways that he healed What's really interesting is that Jesus did not commission them at that time to teach. But here he is on what we call the great commission, sending them out and saying, I want you to teach what I have taught you, what I have modeled. These things that you've heard on the Sermon on the Mount, how to live out loving me and loving your neighbor. Now, this uh, commission to make disciples of all nations for the transformation of the entire world it sounds a little lofty, doesn't it? It sounds weighty. I think that can be intimidating to us. But I think that if we, we think about the fact that we have influence and we have power, that's helpful. That depending on the social, social situation that we're in or the family unit or the group of friends, we have influence. So if we can notice the spaces where we have influence, then we can begin to wield and use that influence for good. We can point to the kingdom. I think maybe a simpler way to say it is, you know, how can I personally make disciples? Well, I can think about the things that I know and the things that I love and the things that people say that I'm good at. When we can identify those things and we can lay them before Jesus, he takes those things and he uses them for kingdom purposes. Think about in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus showed up and he called disciples who were fishing and he said, come and follow me, learn from me, and I will show you how to be fishers for people. He took what they were good at, what they knew and what they loved, and he pivoted it and used it for the kingdom. I think a great example of this um, is Amy Sigmund in our church. Some of you know her. She's really great at baking. This is the plug to check out her home baking house. I mean, her home baking house. <laughs> her baking company that she has in her house. She you, uh, is, is great at, at making things and crafting them and taking time and experimenting. But she also uses that love for baking to bake our communion bread every Sunday at 830 She uses her love for the table to invite people to it and to create this place of hospitality and table fellowship. And so you can ask yourself, what am I good at? How can Jesus use this and repurpose it for the kingdom Last weekend, uh, my husband Mark and I were traveling to Texas for a funeral. Some of you know that we had a, a death in our family. And uh, we decided since my mom was able to watch our kids that we were gonna drive to Dallas. Now, our 10-year wedding anniversary was also last week. So we thought, you know what? This is a great time to spend nine and a half hours in the car together. <laughs> and as we were driving, uh, we were listening to this uh, this Bible app, my husband actually is doing a lot better at me than reading the Bible every single day. He listens to this Bible app that kind of goes through different parts of scripture. And and the commentator was talking about how like Jesus had influence over the masses. You know, we hear about these people that he fed and that he, he influenced through his teaching and preaching, but he took the time to teach 12 people who then went to teach 12 other people And so sometimes when this goal of making disciples feels really lofty, we can think about our spheres of influence, our circles, the people that we can teach and, and we can tell them to go and to teach others. That's how we can create transformation and change. Now, also on that uh, drive, we didn't just talk to each other for 18 hours. We listened to, you know, different podcasts and things. So it was my turn to drive last Sunday morning and I put in my earbud to listen to a podcast by Kate Bowler. Some of you have heard of her. Um, she wrote, uh, well, her podcast is called Everything Happens. And on her podcast, she was interviewing a woman named Elizabeth Gilbert, and she is best known for her book, Eat, Pray, Love. Some of you have heard of that book or read it before. And Elizabeth Gilbert uh, in this moment was kind of talking about a way that we can reimagine, she didn't call it this, but a way we can reimagine discipleship and maybe problematize this idea that we have to have one purpose and be good at one thing. So sometimes in society we feel like we've gotta have one major, right? We've gotta have one vision, one focus, one skill, one talent that we master. And we're not successful unless we master it. Uh, We're not successful actually unless we monetize it and make money off of it. We're not successful unless we teach other people how to do it. We're not successful if we don't have this big lasting legacy. But making disciples doesn't necessarily have to be that grand. What if we listened for Jesus in this moment, and that sh- he, Jesus shows us, showed us in that moment, how we can be His disciples? She gives an example where she was going to a conference and she was walking around Los Angeles. She had 45 minutes to kill. And she noticed uh, this man who was standing on a ladder fixing something pretty high up on a window. And and she said, growing up in my family, you never let somebody stand on a ladder without someone holding the bottom of it, right? And she noticed that nobody was there to, to to hold the ladder stable for this man. And so she went over and she stood and she held a ladder for 45 minutes And when the man started to come down, she just left. Like the man never saw her. He never knew that she was standing there holding the ladder. And she said, you know what? What if my purpose that day was to stand there and hold a ladder for 45 minutes? What if my purpose in my whole life was to stand there in that moment and hold a ladder for 45 minutes? Sometimes we think we have to have these grand futures or callings or purposes. What if... We look for what God presents to us right in the moment. And we respond as disciples who are compassionate and caring. What if in the moment we're able to create steady ground for somebody or help somebody else climb up? The last thing that Jesus says to his followers is, I am with you always Okay, he's just dropped this big mission on them and he's about to leave and he says, remember, I get it, this stuff is hard, but I am with you always. I told you when we talk about the Bible and we talk about scripture, it's really important that we put ourselves in the context and we understand what was going on. Because in that context, we can feel those emotions, which helps us understand those disciples and it helps us to relate to the text and apply it to our real lives. So remember, remember, that Jesus had been crucified in a horrible way, that they had seen his death. And in Matthew, this is the first time that they are witnessing Jesus in resurrected form. This is the first time they are seeing for themselves that he is alive. And so he gives them this task, but he says, remember, even though I will physically not be with you, I am with you always. And we can understand this, can't we? We've had loved ones that we've lost who have said these kind of words to us before. Even if I'm not with you physically, I am with you in spirit. And that helps us to keep on living. It encourages us when we feel them and we're nurtured by them. I think this is something that our parents will say to their graduates when they go off to college, right? I may not physically be with you, but I am with you always. You take my love. You take everything that I have taught you. And I think that's what we want to say as a church, right, to our graduates, that even if we're not physically with you, we are with you in spirit and we support you. But most of all, we want you to know that Jesus is with you, that Jesus is a home that you can return to, that no matter what you face and no matter what you get yourself into or whatever you encounter, God is with you. And I say that as someone who got themselves into stuff, you know? So I hope today, church, that you are ready for this God of movement, that you believe in the God of the present moment, and that we as a community and as individuals would listen for what God is doing now and what God is doing next. May it be so. Amen.